one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. For seven weeks in 1993, Frankston was in lockdown as police hunted a serial killer who would continue to kill until he was caught. Homicide investigator Charlie Bessina was in charge of the first case and was there to the end when Paul Charles Denyer was caught and confessed. Join me, John Sylvester, with Charlie on November 5 for the inside story. A Black Salmon event. Join Sly and Charlie in the hunt for the Frankston serial killer at the St Kilda Town Hall on November the 5th. Tickets at Eventbrite. Uh, hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, My guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. Chopper Reed, Mark Reed was a was a billet down there, so he used to visit every yard and sell and provide you with your meal and the like. I said to him, I said, Chop, I've got a problem. He says, What's your problem? I said, I've been writing to this girl for a couple of months, and now she wants us to meet up, and uh, I haven't told her I'm in jail. Glenn Broom was, in his own words, a bugger of a kid, but he had very good reason to be that little bugger. He'd been abandoned abused, institutionalised and neglected, growing up a ward of the state and longing for a family or someone who cared. It wouldn't be a surprise to anyone that he retaliated and not surprisingly, he went off the rails. Many of us wouldn't know or understand how that felt, but Glenn did. At 17 years of age, the troubled Glenn was jailed for armed robbery and he found the strangest of confidants to help him get off the crime bus that he'd found himself on, and onto the straight and narrow. Would you believe Mr Chopper Reed? Chopper Reed was, in a way, a father figure to Glenn and advised him on many aspects of life, including a few tips on how to treat a particular young woman that he'd met and he was really keen on. Glenn ended up marrying that particular woman and having a family with her, so Chopper's advice must have been pretty spot on. 
Glenn drew on his experience as a troubled young man to help others who'd found themselves in a similar situation to his own childhood, and he's never stopped being a trailblazer for those who walked or are walking his path. Glenn proves you can change and you can become a better person when all appears lost. He was given a second chance at life and he took it with both hands, making a bloody good fist of it. He's become a strong, passionate advocate for mental health and those who've been dealt the cards that he was as a young person. He's someone for troubled youth to aspire to, to give them hope and to give them inspiration. He really is a shining light to some who feel they're in the darkest of dark places many of us can't imagine. Glenn is also passionate about connecting the disconnected, and he's got a long history of working in the criminal justice system, youth and adult services. He provides prisoners and their families, including children, with information and support which focuses on maintaining or improving family relationships, particularly, you may not be surprised, targeting family violence, child protection and child custody concerns. He really practices what he preaches as he's been a volunteer in a lot of organisations and he's also been a residential care worker. He did the crime and did the time. But I wonder whether you believe, within reason, of course, that a person convicted and sentenced for a serious crime in their youth deserves a second chance. Glenn's fought hard through the courts to have his sentence removed from all records. But are there some offences that shouldn't ever be removed? It's a subject which creates differing opinions. But personally, I think many deserve a second chance, but obviously not for, well, with me, for offences against young children. So thanks for your time today, Glenn, and uh, for the help and guidance that you provide uh, to those not so fortunate as many of us. So, yes, thank you and welcome. Look, thank you. Thank you for uh, the invite, Norelle. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come and have a chat. Yes, well, I do too because your background, Glenn, to where you are now just shows what can be done I suppose with a a little bit of self belief. True, true. I think I think one of the important things though is that um, with a background like myself, it's very easy for that to become your identity. So there was a long period there where uh, I had social workers and uh, lawyers and a whole range of people, you know, getting up before the court saying, "Oh." Your Honour, Glenn has had such a horrible life. He's had this happen to him, that happened to him. Yep. And uh, it got to the point where it became my identity. So I was almost introducing myself to people. Hi, I'm Glenn and I've had a horrible life. So there, there's a time where you've got to stop being a victim and become a victor. And uh, that's a long process that we'll talk more about, I guess. Yeah, it, it's a good point, Glenn. But also, it also shows... <laughs> That, yeah, as I said, you can change, but you need to have some self-belief, as I said, to actually uh, work through that and not become that person. But it would be very easy to, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I suppose one of the things I hold on to is that um, there's a saying that says um, uh, a, a leopard can't change its spots. And I tell people that, thank God I'm not a leopard. 
Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, labels sometimes stick. Uh, There was a fellow called uh, Shakespeare and uh, he wrote a... uh, he wrote a line that said, uh, the pen is mightier than the sword. Uh, he was either a victim or a sadist because uh, I'm hoping he's a victim because the reality is that um, the ink sometimes never dries. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Um, yeah, God, it, I suppose there's there's fours and not fours and againsts, but there's good stories and there's stories that don't work out so well. And, uh, but I, I take your point. I, I don't want to dwell on your life as a kid, but mm. it, it also is very inspiring. And I, I don't um, ever want to, you know, take that away from you. So can you tell us about your life as a child and how you remember? life as that child or feeling as that child? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, a lot of it I obviously don't remember and it's only records that are held by the state that sort of give me some idea of my early years. But um, my mother um, spent many years, she was certified at 11 with schizophrenia um, and spent most of her life in and out of Mont Park, um, which was a uh, hospital institution for people that, that um, suffered severe mental illness. Um, she, she used to do things what I used to do later in life, which was uh, because she had no family to go to, she used to go on her own little leave. So she would uh, abscond from the hospital and no one would know where she was and she'd be off having affairs with different men and the like, um, to which I become a product of one of those relationships. So... Um, you know, uh, the incubation period's about nine months, so about nine months later I, I appeared. Um, she tried to have me for a little while but found it in, very difficult to do that. So she handed me into Brunswick Police Station and said I could no longer care for, for him um, and then um, was found dead outside the uh, Footscray Hospital. So um, she apparently OD'd and, and um, choked on her own vomit, which was unfortunate. Um, but but um, interestingly enough, uh, from the next day forward, um, I'd been given a criminal record. Um, back in those days, there was a thing called um, uh, no visible means of support. So I was made a ward of a state. Mm. And, you, and in order to document that, they've actually got to create a criminal file for you. Mm. So um, I, I started my life uh, pretty much on the wrong side of the tracks from the beginning. So... Uh, following that, I had a number of uh, unsuccessful foster placements. Um, the, 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 the relationships would uh, break down and the, and the people would, you know, divorce and the like, and I'd have to get returned to care. I hope that wasn't a result of me, but um, as a consequence, I went to a German family that spoke fluent Germany, German in the house and during those informative years where you've, you're learning language and uh, the like, um, I became quite proficient in, in speaking German. So only uh, as a little tack. And then their relationship busted up and I went back into care. And I went to another foster family, um, uh, which was, which was a, a colourful family that I lived with. Back in there, those days, there wasn't a lot of scrutiny around who you got placed with. We had so many young people needing um, needing foster caring that anyone put their hand up. Um, 
was got the gig, yeah, yeah. So um, I ended up going to a family of a painter and docker, uh, which was was very colourful. But um, I spoke fluent German, so they couldn't understand a word I was saying. Um, <laughs> and and the record suggested that I started to develop an anger problem because um, people couldn't understand me, and I become bit of a tantrum lad and uh, very frustrated. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and that only lasted a couple of years. Then I was back in care. But my childhood memories is, is uh, I once watched a movie called uh, Huckleberry Finn. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I found myself as a very mischievous kid. I, I don't think I had any sort of um, uh, criminal intent or – just, just a bugger of a kid that would constantly be doing things that he shouldn't be. Um, one night I, I spent the night sleeping in uh, Chadston Shopping Centre, um, slept in, the, fell asleep in the stairwell in a box, woke up at about one in the morning and I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I might dress up as a cowboy. So I ran around the whole place dressing up in what what looked like a cowboy Um and then, and then I remember this uh, voice as I walked up the escalator, um, don't move or I'll shoot. Um, and it turned out to be a security guard that mm. stays in there all night. And, um, you know, I quickly put on the waterworks and let him know that, um, <laughs> you know, my, my mother, had, my foster mother had forgotten me, um, yeah. who'd gone there shopping earlier in the day and I was this lost child. And <laughs> when they come to pick me up and I was in nobody's clothes but mine, um, yeah quickly discovered I was um, quite mischievous. So, so yeah, constantly wagging school, um, very disconnected from other people, had a strong sense of uh, abandonment. So, um, yeah, I, I was a bit of a lone ranger in that sense. God, Glenn, uh, no, no wonder. Oh, gee, it's just – it's so foreign to somebody like myself who – uh, I've, I just, yeah, it leaves me speechless sometimes just what um, people experience as a little child. I, I didn't even know that people, you know, as a child, I didn't know anyone didn't have parents and that they didn't have somewhere to sleep. But can we just go back to your mum for a minute, if you don't sure, mind? Sure. Yeah. And I, I must um, say here that if there's anything that we discuss, you have said you're an open book and I really appreciate sure. that. But if there was something that you'd prefer not to talk about, please just uh, say. But your mum's life, you said that she was a schizophrenic or she'd been uh, diagnosed diagnosed at 11. Yeah, yeah. Do you know... Does a, is a child born with schizophrenia or did something happen to your mum where she developed schizophrenia? Well, well it's very, very – well, I suppose initially it, it could very well – on today's science, and I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but um, age 11, it would be very rare for someone to be diagnosed with that today. Um, we're, we're very adverse against putting labels on people. So um, I think back 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 in those days, certifying people was sort of um, next best thing to taking them to hospital. Yep. So um, she also suffered from, um, back in those days, uh, it was called, um, uh, had a funny name to it, but, but it was, um, uh, she had depression uh, at a very, very, 
chronic level. Um, so with the combination of those two, um, yeah, it was very rare that, that someone be certified at that age. Um, but uh, the abandonment of her family saw her pretty much institutionalised. Okay, so she was abandoned as a child as well, was she? Yeah, well, her family existed, but I think it was an inability to to care for her. Okay. So uh, when, we, when we produced child children back in the early 1900s and the 30s and that, uh, if they were a little bit broken, we had the opportunity to put them in care, mm-hmm. um, which there's a strong resistance and so there should be. But a lot of, ke- a lot of people that have um, disabled children or children with, um, with chronic uh, mental health issues, uh, years ago they would have been institutionalised. Yeah. Um, where yeah. today we try to work with them and um, get them into the community and be a part of the community and for the community to take some responsibility of those yeah. people that uh, are less fortunate than ourselves. Yeah, and th- and thank goodness that life has changed oh, so that, sure. you know, so that we can uh, include them and that so they should be included in mm. In That's everyday right. activities, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly, mm. yeah. And, Glenn, you said that your mum um, had affairs as a child. Uh, how well, old I was your mum? I wouldn't say as a child. Uh, it would have been later on in life. Like, I think she had me when she was 24. Oh, right. I thought, yeah, gee, yeah, no, I was... <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> so I think, um, I think her um, upbringing in the institution Back then, uh, people that had um, had the capacity to have a relationship with their kids but didn't have the ability to house them at home um, yeah. used to take them on weekends or, you know, uh, a bit of respite, come out of the institution. Um, because my mum didn't have anyone, she used to organise her own. So, yeah. so she'd just run away. Um, but I think that was sort of later in life, um, not as a young child, no. Okay, because I was going <laughs> to have to pick you up there because when you said that she had um, affairs as a child, yeah. I was just going to say no child can have an affair with somebody yeah. because that can... Exactly, exactly, yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah. I was just about to get on my high horse then. <laughs> oh, that's, right. yeah, that's legal. You're allowed to do that. That's, Settle that's down, Narelle. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? That's the cop coming out of me. <laughs> coming out of the air, yeah. <laughs> hey, and Glenn, when your mum uh, uh, dropped you at the Brunswick Police Station, you yep. said that um, she was found uh, deceased uh, afterwards, That's was that idea. days or hours or weeks? No, How like long? In, as in hours. <gasps> yeah, oh, so really? she, was born, she was born in Footscray. Um, so I don't know. She also had uh, chronic asthma. So um, the suggestion is that she might have been going to the hospital to have her asthma dealt with. Um, but there were, um, there were um, sedatives found in her blood system. So okay. that, they're a little bit unsure whether, whether what the actual. I mean, it wasn't diagnosed as a suicide, so um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they are actually. I don't know enough about it, but um, yeah, but um, yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting um, situation because you could also also pull at the you know she's just dropped her son at the 
the, the, at the police station and has no will to live or whatever, but I don't think it was quite that dramatic. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just coincidental. Yeah, and, and Glenn, can we go on to you went to jail as a 17-year-old. Can yeah. you tell us what led up to that? Um, well, yeah, it's not as if anything was uh, happening in my life that um, – it was almost uh, almost prophetic, I guess, in the sense that um, that um, you know that wasn't the first time I'd been in trouble. I had a long rap sheet um, growing up in Beltara and Tirana. Um, yeah, it was almost a rite of passage to have commit some offence mm. because I initially went in there as a ward of a state with no convictions, as yeah. did hundreds of other kids. Um, just to, you know, risk themselves or others. <clears throat> and um, so, so by, by the time I, I went, to, went to prison, um, I'd pretty much, um, ex, uh, pretty much exhausted every other opportunity. I, I was a constant runaway, constant absconder. They had difficulty keeping me behind the bars. Um, they used to have a place called Parkside, which was part of Ballarat, uh, sorry, part of Beltara. Yeah. I was that skinny that I was able to fit through the bars. So from time to time, absent-minded staff would let me out in this particular area and I'd make a beeline straight for the bars. So um, I was constantly on the run and running away and um, and as a consequence, you, you meet some colourful people on the street and you get involved in different crimes and uh, thieving mm. and, um, you know, shoplifting and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm, mm. My, my, my main offence, I think, was narcissism. I, I had no one else to care about. So um, I just looked out for myself, um, become a glutton for, for nice things, um, and I didn't care, really care back then as to who owned them or how hard they worked. I didn't understand those concepts. Uh, I understood the concept that it's there and I took it and I was able to get it. So... Like I said, very narcissistic, uh, all about me. Uh, so by the time I got involved in the in the armed robberies, um, it was uh, it was it was a new arena for me. It was something that I hadn't been involved in before because I pretty much graduated from you know shoplifting, burglaries, car thefts, uh, all that sort of stuff. Mm. It's the first time that um, I'd, I'd basically committed a non-coward offence in the sense that um, all my other crimes, uh, I felt that they weren't against people, it was property, um, and I never had to confront anybody uh, when I did my offending. So uh, I could never see what impact my offending had on other people. Um, but armed robbery is is uh, a very personal thing. So, um you know, putting putting a, a gun or something like that in the face of somebody and seeing the fear upon their face is incredibly personal. Um, so it was a whole new arena for me. I was um, I was part of a, a part of a street gang, um, and as you could imagine, my transient life, um, I wasn't part of that gang for very long um, because I was either locked up again or had to, you know, avoid police and go somewhere. Um, so, so yeah, that that um, those offences which I'm fighting now um, because they were basically um, some uh, robberies that took place on a beach. Uh, 
I'm not trivialising it by any means, but um, they were just holding people up for their money. Um, and With what? Did you have a weapon, Glenn? Or? Oh, they, 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 uh, we had a um, baseball bats, an imitation gun, knives. Okay. Yep. Um, and there was about six or seven of us, so only, only two or three may partake in the actual offending. The rest were just intimidation. Um, so we, so we um, thought we'd be clever about this, and, and uh, I did a uh, no-comment record of interview. Um, most of the other guys, I was uh, the oldest of the lot by a year or so, but most none of them had been to prison before um, or any form of institutional care. So I, um, I did a no-comment thinking I was so clever. Um, the other five or six put me in it. Uh, as deep as they could. So um, my record of interview really didn't mean much. Um, so what we did is I, I, we wanted, for some reason, we pleaded not guilty. Um, and even the other guys did who'd written a full record of interview, but I, I don't know what that was about. But for some reason, we found ourselves in the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, the Supreme Court is basically the serious of the serious. Um as far as Victoria is concerned, that's pretty much our highest court as far as criminal matters go. Yeah, it is. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, what, what the heck are we doing here? Why aren't we at least in the county, you know? Um, so anyway, maybe the public, the, the DPP wanted to sort of, you know, shake us up or whatever. Um, it was a little bit overkill. But anyway, the, the sentence sort of reflected uh, my belief, which was uh, one of confusion, because we we got a three with a one, um, three years with a one-year minimum, which suggested that um, the, the crime wasn't overly serious, but it required a long supervision period on parole. So what would happen is you back in those days we got, got a remission, so we would have served eight months and then gone out on two years' parole. Um, so the judge was probably thinking, you know, these young fellas need a bit of supervision when they get out. So let's let's do a two year parole period. Um, so um, so because of that, uh, sorry, a three year. Yeah. So the top was a three and the bottom was a one. Um, so any other records I've had over the years have basically diminished because of uh, the Spent Sentences Act. But the three years, because it's more than thirty months, I've had to take that to to appeal, which uh, which I think we'll talk a bit further later on about. Yep, yep. So, just um, when you talk then about you thought you were being smart and you made a no comment interview, I thought I might just explain there, or we might to the list to the listeners that in a situation like that with Glenn talking about making a no comment interview what that means is that the police have nowhere to go if if glenn may have said look i did it but i didn't mean to hurt them or this person made me do it or whatever then mm. the police they would investigate more and they might be able to find out more about the offence but with glenn saying no comment well there's really no choice because Glenn hasn't given any type of uh, explanation. Uh, they have nothing to go on, so they've really got to go with what uh, what the uh, the offence is. Does am I making sense there? I don't know if I am. Help me out here, Glenn. 
Well, I, I think what happens then is that they rely heavily on uh, witnesses and co-accuse uh, information that they provide. Hmm. So my statement in itself um, is is a non-admission, um, and 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 uh, obviously it doesn't demonstrate any remorse or anything like that because I've said no comment. Yeah. Um, so what they what they do when it comes to court, they rely heavily on co-accused to convict me, um, and also those of the witnesses that identify. Mm. Um, so. Mm. Yeah, but but also it's somebody's it's anybody's right to make a no comment for sure. Yeah, for sure. yeah, and and we should never forget that. But when they somebody does make a no comment, well, we don't know what they're we're giving the uh, suspect an opportunity to explain their role in the offence. And when they don't explain it, well, you've got as you say, all, you, all you've got is uh, witnesses, uh, victims, whatever. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the only other thing I wanted to talk about there was, you know, you were saying about that you didn't. Uh, <laughs> It was um, all about you. And, and I think to myself, but no wonder because nobody else has cared for you. So I, I can understand you thinking, why do I care about other people? Because they don't care about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, I, think, um, I, I think if I didn't do anything, if I didn't address that, um, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here now. Um, because because lots of people have had horrific lives and have done some amazing things with it, um, and I think that's because they've uh, moved away from being a victim, and they're now a victor. And as a victor, someone who's a victor takes responsibility. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. For what they do and what they've done. Um, I had to come to that place. Now, I, I work in prisons now and I work with a lot of guys that I grew up with um, and it's the saddest part of my job. That I bet it is. Yeah. I'm nearly 60, so you know, most of these guys have spent the vast majority, 40, 50-odd years in custody, in and out, in and out, um, to the point where some of them have got, you know, uh, psoriasis of the liver because of the drinking, uh destroyed different parts of their body through the drug taking. Countless number of them have died through overdoses, um, high-speed chases that have resulted in their death. Um, so I've lost a lot, a lot of people that I grew up with. They're my friends, no, but um, they're people that I shared an experience with that, um, that runs a bit deeper than a, attending a birthday party. And uh, so, yeah, for... for um, you know, there comes a time where we all had a, an opportunity to make a choice. Um, I'd like to think I made a good choice and um, because regardless of circumstances, there's still the power within us to decide whether we're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And so when you did uh, get sentenced to jail, what, what did jail teach you? Uh, nothing. Um, well, that's unfair. That's unfair. Yeah. They yeah. taught me a lot of things, but they didn't teach me anything good. Um, it, it had the capacity to just uh, harden you um, because the, the, back in those days, we're talking the early 80s, which is Pentridge days, um, it was quite a, quite a romantic, poetic sort of environment comparing what today is. Um, Today's prisons are very sort of hospital-looking, um, but back then it was a, a whole different case. And um, so I learned how to be resilient. I, I learned how to fight. Um, I learned how to uh, be clever with my mouth because that got me out of a lot more trouble than got me into. Um, it taught me, it taught me uh, um, a very twisted or a distorted version of justice, which was around respect. Uh, respecting people, um, and in this place, it was about, it was about you know uh, saying the right thing, um, acknowledging um, a very very not much different to society, but it, but a bit twisted. So you know, just knowing your place in the place was really important. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until later, near the ending of my sentence, that um, that I actually began to find you know, purpose and meaning and, um, and, and and there's lots of good guys in there that are just really decent people that just got caught up in something they shouldn't have. Mm. Um, you know, there's lots of guys in there for manslaughter that went to a pub one night just to have a drink, um, got into a fight, the guy fell back, hit his head on the, on the tile and he's dead. Um, so, you know, before that he would just finish a shift at work. So... So, you know, they're, 
our prisons aren't necessarily full of uh, deviant, uh, mischievous, sort of criminally intent people. Some people just made a silly mistake. Um, and if they were to get parole or get out, you'd never hear from them again. Mm. Yeah. So I don't, I don't see, um, look, with our, with our governments and the like, it's around vote getting. And, and a lot of that is to do with, um, uh, being tough on crime, um, things like the Bail Act had to be tightened up. Uh, it was becoming a bit of a joke. But um, our prisons are pretty much, you know, if you want to offend, well, we'll lock you up. Um, there's no such thing as rehabilitation. That do- just doesn't exist. It's, it's a furphy. Mm. So what a lot of prisons now are talking about reintegration. We can't re- rehabilitate them, but let's reintegrate them. But um, they do some amazing work within prisons, but there's no link up to the community. So, yeah, on average, about eighty percent of people that are released from prison uh, are released into homelessness. Yeah, people might argue that, but um, two nights in a motel room is not considered a home. Um, no, no, of course it's not. That's right. No. Yeah. So, so there's you know our system is improving in some ways. But in others, it's uh, they're, they're only halfway there. They've got to address more in the community to keep them out. Uh, we've got a currently a rate of, um, I think it's like uh, 56 or 57% recidivism. So people returning to prison is more than 50%. Yeah, it it says a lot, doesn't it, that there's something very, very wrong. Um, I just wanted to um, acknowledge, you said before that, uh, some people in there, and I couldn't agree more, that there are some people in jail that have made, um, you referred to it as a silly mistake, but I just want mm. to acknowledge there that with that silly mistake, uh, they have uh, punched somebody or uh, assaulted them somehow where you said mm. they'd fall back and, you know, and, and died. But yeah. we must acknowledge that those uh, silly mistakes have caused people to lose their loved ones. So we never, ever want to take that away from them. Yeah. No, no, I'm talk- I probably, yeah, probably need to reframe that in the sense that um, I'm talking about how easy it is yeah. um, to go to prison. Absolutely. And I also, um, yes, I agree because I think that it was a, somebody made a really bad choice. You know, you have a choice whether to walk away from a fight. That's right. And I understand we can all get, um, uh, uh, what's that word? Uh, Yes, yeah. Yeah. But but we have to take responsibility That's for right. for right. those uh, choices and yeah. Uh, yeah I'm just thinking to myself now you know young Patrick Cronin uh, mm. the one the one punch uh, you know it, it it's um it's difficult isn't it because I know yeah. a young man uh, I've spoken to him many times young uh, Zach Jones who went to jail for a really really bad choice in a, a driving incident mm. and uh, you know he was a he was a good kid. Yeah, and he yeah. ended up in jail and, and he says the same thing. And this is now, you know, he's only been released not even 12 months. Right. But but he was saying that jail does – there's so many opportunities to rehabilitate people, but they're just not doing it. They just um, – mm. there's so many opportunities, isn't there? There is. It's there such is. a waste, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And then people say, well, why should you spend money on prisoners? Mm. Yes, I, I get that. But but also, why would you spend money on, I don't know, fixing a footpath when we could actually help some young person rehabilitate and get back you know, into society. But anyway, we, right. we, could, we could spend a whole podcast on that. Well, we could, we could. <laughs> considering, considering um, I think, I think, I uh, think about, um, I think it's about 80% of uh, prisoners um, serve less than, less than two years in prison. Um, so, so we need to be really conscious that they're going to be back on the street. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so do we want, do we want someone that's sort of uh, partly reformed or, or not at all? So, um you know, a lot, of, a lot of incarceration is about um, changing behaviour modification, and I don't think enough money is spent in that arena. Um, you know, if you ask a if you ask a prison what's the three most important things about a prison, they'll say security, security, and security. So um, it's maintaining maintaining the good order of a prison, which is all around security. Uh, you know, reduce the opportunity to get drugs into the prison, um, stop people from escaping, stop people from assaulting each other. Very little energy is put into, you know, uh, making new creations. Mm. Yeah, and I understand that there will be people, and I don't have, I think this is a, a sad attitude that, oh, throw away the key. Well, that's not achieving anything. And I understand people that who have had loved ones that have died as a result of uh, a crime. I mm. understand that, but... Um, sure. Oh, yeah, it, it's difficult. And, and there's a pocket of people that I would totally agree with, you yes. know, yep. throwing away the key. But the vast majority of them, um, you know, we can lock them away and then become another America where we've got, you know, over a million people incarcerated, like... That's huge. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it's in. Know? We just can't manage. We just can't do it. And so, no. Glenn. So, Glenn, what was it? Uh, what started turning your life around for the better, and why? Well, uh, I can't offer this opportunity for everybody, but uh, I was in H division at the time, and uh, up to this very point, it was all about me. Um. I, I was in our, in our cells at H Division, you have, uh, I don't know, probably four foot by eight foot, the size of the cell, um, and where your bed is positioned near the door, um, there's a, you know, the best way to describe it is a metal plate with, um, with round holes in it, probably 200 holes that, that sort of represent a speaker. Um, yep. Yep. And there's two knobs. There's a, a one or two. I can't remember if we had a choice of stations, but um, I think it had a station dial and a volume dial. And uh, and on this particular night, there was I was on three KZ, and uh, they had what they called three KZ matchmakers. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By, um, someone McCartney. I forget who the guy is. Yeah, yeah. Name. yeah. Um, so anyway, matchmakers, and this woman got on and said, hi, my name's Happy. I'm looking for an honest, sincere, genuine kind of guy. And I thought to myself, that's a bit of me. So I penned her a letter. And back in Pentridge, way back in those days, it was just a, a, a lined, full-scap paper with, a, with an envelope. So there was no uh, distinguishing 
marks on the envelope to suggest that it had come from a prison. So I wrote her a letter and apparently what happens is that someone gets on the radio station, pleads their case for a fella or a woman, and then uh, all these letters get sent into, into 3KZ. They bag them up for this particular person and send it off to their personal address. Yeah. Uh, so I got a reply and uh, this woman's found my, my uh, story interesting and wanted to know more and we penned each other for about a month then she said, oh, it's time for us to meet. And I thought, what the hell am I going to do? She doesn't know I'm in prison. So, so I said, I've got no idea what to do now. Like uh, I didn't write to her for a few days where I was virtually writing every night. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was in a yard, in the yard, um, Chopper Reed, Mark Reed was a, was a billet down there. So he used to visit every yard and sell and provide you with your meal and the like. And um, because I was so young, he sort of took a shine into me and I was hoping it was for all the right reasons. And, uh, and uh, I said to him, I said, Chop, I've got a problem. He says, what's your problem? I said, I've been writing to this girl for a couple of months and now she wants to visit. Uh, she wants us to meet up and uh, I haven't told her I'm in jail. So that's easy. That's an easy one. He said, look, just tell her that, uh, that you're in for tax evasion. <laughs> he said, that, that's the honest crime. Everyone does it. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's a sort of an honest sort. You haven't hurt oh, anybody. Yeah. You've just ripped off the government. And I thought, that's a beauty. So I wrote back to her and said, you wouldn't believe what happened to me yesterday. I got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she said, look, I better come out and see you then. Oh. So we organised a visit. Yeah. And um, a year to the day we got married by Father John Brosnan in uh, – E Division, uh, oh. Pentridge. You got married so, in jail. Got married in jail. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, prior to that, I obviously confessed my sins to her because I didn't oh, yeah. think it was yeah. fair that we got married on a lie because um, it's one I probably couldn't remember and she'd find out soon enough. So, yeah, so, yeah look, that was, that was all good. Um, and that was probably the turning point in my life. Um, she already had two children and... Um, and um, for the first time in my life, I found someone more important myself to care about. Mm. Mm. So that became the changing point in my life. Um, so um, got out, got out of prison, um, and my life hadn't turned back. So it had nothing to do with the prison, although you know maybe it gave me some sort of morals or ethics or, or some sort of byproduct rather than a direct you know, uh, rehabilitation factor. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I hadn't turned back since. Hey, Glenn, what did you, in that, uh, on that full scat piece of paper, that yeah. when you first wrote to her, can you remember, like you said, you told her a bit about yourself. Yeah, did, you fill, yeah. did you fill the full scat paper or did you just write a I couple? I did several pages. Um, but, but it was all fanciful, you know, um, that, that it was uh, there was very little truth in there, okay. um, so I can't remember a lot of it. I just remember I remember one comment because she said if I had read it properly, I would never have gone with you. Um, but it said something, you know. I, I follow uphold the. Um, I have a strong 
sense of family similar to the Mormons or something like that. Oh, goodness, um, right. Yeah, yeah, that's what she said. She said, I, I never read that properly, and had I read it properly, I would never have gone anywhere near. But, um, <laughs> but I just knew that it was um, – I think I talked about aspirations and what I wanted to do with my life and how important family was to me, although um, I did say that I was um, I had no siblings or whatever, um, so I didn't know really know what that looked like. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember a lot, lot uh, that was said in that letter at all. Well, not you can't remember a lot of truth in there. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, hey yeah. and Glenn, so when you came clean with her, yep. how did she respond? Um, well, obviously, well, she married you. But yeah, can yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. But um, can you remember when you first told her? Like, did she ask why did you lie or I don't yeah. know? Well, well, it was more because I did it in a letter. So I didn't do it. I didn't want that immediate because I'd, I'd suffered rejection so much throughout my life. I didn't want her rejecting me. Um, yeah. So the thought of doing that face to face, I just wasn't man enough to do that. So I did it in a letter, and then um, she turned up as normal on the visit, and um, we talked through it. You know, she, why did you need to lie? And mm. she probably didn't understand, but um, but I, I explained it that um, I didn't have a strong sense of worth. Um, and I didn't uh, value myself much, so um, just creating this persona. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I'm surprised that – I mean, we were married for 21 years. Oh, so, right. Um, oh. You know, so it wasn't a, overnight. We had two children. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, we just sort of fell out of love, so uh, that's okay. She's moved on and I've moved on, so it was – you know, it was – not one of those 20-minute jail romances. Um, oh, no, no, you're yeah. right. And, and if I've got anyone to thank for where I am today, it's probably her. Oh, and, mm. yeah, and I thank her too. So yeah. my next question to you was, um, can you remember the first time you ever felt loved or cared for? But I think you've just answered that with... Yeah, pretty much. Plus also her, her, um, her children um, actually embraced me, like... Um, They'd lost the, the, their father was estranged or something. I don't even know today what the real story of it is. But um, her children, um, yeah, showed me love and affection like I'd never seen it before. So, um, you know, they found the softer side of me. And um, and I bet you yeah. embraced it, Glenn. Oh, big time, big time. And then I went on to have two of my own children with her, um, two boys. And, um, yeah, it was sort of... Um, Sort of uh, creating, creating life again in the sense of, um, you know, my name and having a having a family. So um, made lots of mistakes while having those kids. You know, um, yeah, of course, I was far from perfect. Um, you know, uh, some of the abuse and stuff that I grew up with, um, you either became like it or the opposite. So I was, you know, at times very. Um, uh, I suppose I was incredibly strict. Um, my, you know, not violent or anything, but strict to the point where I didn't want um, them living the life that I had. So I didn't want to see any of them in juvie or uh, in prison. And, you know, fortunate enough, none of them have, thank God. Um, 
Mm. You know, you know, it. I, I can. It, it says a lot about the type of person you are to be able to acknowledge what your first wife, what mm. she did for you, because there's a lot of people in this world that break up from their, um, you know, their 20 plus years, mm. or it doesn't matter how long, just their marriage. And they, and they're, crit- I mean, and fair enough too, but you know, it can be very critical. Uh, you have no time for them. You can't say a nice thing about them, but yet you still acknowledge. Oh, yeah, very much she- so. Oh, gee, I, I think that says a lot about you as a person, Glenn. Mm-hmm. No, she, she was a good woman. She um, she had she was in very 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 tolerant. Because um, I, did, I, I didn't come out of prison. I came out of there with lots of baggage. Um, I bet you did. No, no, no plan to reoffend or anything like that. But just the just the um, oh, just very difficult. Like you know. Um, Group settings, I, I really struggled. I felt very much an outsider, didn't have anything common with them. Mm. Um, you know, in many cases, I was the only tattooed person in the room. So, you know, th- that came with a degree of not so much shame, but probably embarrassment or, you know, it was almost like I, I wish I could reinvent, create myself, you know, uh, and be clean skinned and all the rest of it. Um so sometimes for guys coming out of out of the system, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a an understanding in prison that you walk around with a basketball under each arm, all puffed up, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, doing doing the the the, the um, you know B division shuffle, and uh, you know, with this attitude that I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I'm my own man. You know, I do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Um, which is not a good start to come back into society with uh, because the truth is you do have to prove yourself to every man and his dog. Um, you do have to uh, become patient with time. Um, you have to prove yourself, whether it's a job, whether it's linking into a sporting group, just um, trust of people around you. You know, I could quickly say, oh, I don't give a shit whether you trust me or not, but the reality is I do want them to trust me and somehow I've got to demonstrate that to them, that uh, I'm a changed being, you know. Um, so, And that comes with time. There's so many guys that get out of prison tomorrow that want to go on the speaking circuit to schools and, you know, oh, I don't want them to live the life I have. Hang on, mate, get your own shit together first, you yeah, know. You've right. got some time. You've got to get it together, establish yourself in the community, build some rapport. Um, you know, if you're tell, telling every everyone that you're a good bloke, is there enough evidence to convict you, you know? Yeah. So um, it, it's really important and time is the biggest issue for a lot of these guys. They give up too easy. Yeah. You, you know, you talk then about uh, back then, you know, when you just came out of prison and you felt, I, said, I suppose, a, a bit of a... Uh, you felt alone because you weren't, you know, part of, you didn't feel like part of society, let's say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. With your tats. But, God, these days, Glenn, anywhere you'd go with, you know, covered in tats, you'd be the uh, the life of the, you'd be the most popular Probably, person yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But we've got two, got two societies. We've got a prison culture and we've got the community. And, um, you know, for a lot of guys that are in prison, especially those that continually return, 
have a degree of status in prison. So, you know, there's an old saying that says you can be a big fish in a little pond or you can be, you know, a little uh, big fish in a big pond, Um, a little fish in a big pond, sorry. And uh, that's the same with prison. Like, you know, if you're an armed robber, you're a murderer, you're um, a drug, drug trafficker, you have a status in prison. Um, where, where if you're a sex offender, you're a child molester, um, you've got a totally different status. So, um, so for a lot of people, there's a sense of belonging in prison. You know, I'm a nobody outside, but the minute I go back into the prison, there's four or five hundred. There's a whole community of people that know me. I know my place. I know the routine. Um, so it's very easy for them to continually go back into prison because it's all too hard out here. They know nobody. We give them we give them a one-bedroom flat and it's a nice, cute little space, but they've just been living with 300 men and now you're isolating them in a little one-bedroom flat. Um, it's quite lonely. And um, there used to, be, used to be a guy, or the guy that married me, uh, Father John Brosnan. He was a oh, knockabout yeah. priest. Yeah. The last person to hang Ronald Ryan—oh, not hang him, but uh, yeah, give the yeah. rights, give him the rights. Yep. He started up a centre in in Brunswick called the Brosnan Centre. That's right. And uh, he said, "There's three things a prisoner needs." He says he needs a job, he needs somewhere to live, and he needs a friend. The hardest thing we can give him is a friend. Um, and that and that, and that that that's the issue with social isolation. You know, so many of these guys come out and they have nothing and have nobody. Um, so what looks better, you know, being in this sort of dog-eat-dog world or do I just go back to the safe environment of a prison? Uh, and so many make that choice. And, and if they know no better, um, I don't blame them. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Glenn, you've been featured in a book by Rachel Porter called Doing oh, Time. Right. Yep. And yeah, and everybody deserves a second chance with another um, nine former prisoners uh, feature, featured in that book. I note that you're currently seeking through the courts, and you spoke, uh, we touched on this before, to have your police record of 40 years ago removed. And, and you have had quite a bit of help from Fiona Patton from the Reason Party. So yes. could you help us with what barriers have you found in your adult life from having a police record? Isn't Glenn an incredibly humble man? I love many facets of Glenn's story about his refusal to become a victim or be known as a victim, I suppose, his dislike of people continually referring to the fact that he'd had a horrible life and the fact that it was becoming his identity. How about his mum? Oh, my goodness, how sad. Uh, His transient lifestyle, ending up in prison for armed robbery, uh, didn't you love the story about Chopper Reed <laughs> and how he helped turn Glenn's life around? Oh, I just loved that story. Uh, I thought it was sad, the fact that uh, jail taught Glenn nothing, um, but yet it had the opportunity, didn't it? Anyway, uh, next week we learn about Glenn's fight to have his record removed after 40-plus years and the barriers that he's faced with having that record. Anyway, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and uh, to be continued next week. Have a good week.
it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.